0: The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Everybody said amen. We've been in this series called Teach Us to Pray, where we've been learning about prayer, learning about how it works why it's important. And this week, I want to talk about how to persist in prayer. As we close out this series, I want to be talking about how do we continue to persist in contention for things, even when we don't have it in our hands yet. So the title of my message today, if you're writing notes, taking notes, which you should be, is knock, 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 knock. And I know there's someone in here, some dad in here that wanted to whisper who's there, but you held it in. We're going to be talking about not just how to build prayer into the everyday rhythm in our life, but how do we continue to contend for things even when we don't have it in our hands yet. Now, I know we all agree in this room that prayer is important, especially after the the four weeks that we've been in this series. Like, no no Christian would say, you know what, I think prayer is a take it or leave it thing. Like, I don't know if it really works. I don't know if it really does anything. We'd all agree that prayer is effective and that prayer works. We, we all agree that, but I think that if we were to take a poll of the room today, I think most of us, if we a- answered the question, rate your prayer life, I think most of us would probably select the option that says needs improvement. And that's okay because we grow, we need to grow in these things, we need to walk in these things. Unless your name is Jesus, you probably have some room to grow in your prayer life. Um, but I think that one of the reasons why our prayer life doesn 't look the way that we think that it should is because we, we don 't understand this principle of persistence that we 're going to talk about today um, about six months ago, uh, I went through one of the most challenging seasons of my life, and so to tell you this story i 'm going to back up another six months now. Something you need to know about me is that I am an all in or all out type of person like I am prone to extremes like You can ask the people that I work with. Either I'm on a health kick and I'm eating the same chicken and veggies and rice every day for six months, or I'm on the complete other end of the spectrum. And I'm treating my body like a human garbage disposal. Like, there's no in-between for me. Like, for instance, when I, when I um, discovered kombucha. Kombucha is like this healthy tea that's got like probiotics in it and stuff. And um, uh, my friend Jackson, he's on staff, our student pastor, he, he uh, let me taste his kombucha. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Well, I wasn't just going to buy kombucha from the store like an everyday scrub. No, I was going to buy all this stuff that I needed to buy so I could make my own kombucha at home. Like, there's no middle ground for me, it's all in or all out. Well, about a year ago, I found a new, and this is what my wife calls passions. I found a new hobby, and that was the hobby of jujitsu. If you don't know, jujitsu is like grappling wrestling, all right? It's not, I wasn't, it's not karate. I wasn't learning how to roundhouse kick through a board. I wasn't learning how to punch through bricks. It's like man stuff. It's like fighting. Like, like real man stuff. Like, I fell in love with it. It was amazing. One of my, We've actually got four or five guys in the church who are really high up. You'd never know this about them because they're so nice, but they're really high up in jujitsu. They could, like, murder you with their bare hands. <laughs> like, if I know I'm going to a fight, which I don't know why I ever would, but I, I'm calling them up. Like, I'm not calling my friends that work at the church. No. No. <laughs> I'm calling my jujitsu friends because it, I think it's the manliest thing I've ever done in my life. Like, I, honestly, I think it is. Like, I went to this class, and it was like, one second, you're just like meeting people, and you're talking to people, and you're saying what's up, and then the buzzer goes off, and you do this like little fist bump thing, and then it's like a fight to the death. It's amazing. <laughs> so I was all in. I was all in, been training for about six months. I was actually training for my first competition, um, and then I, everything changed on a Wednesday afternoon. I went to a class on a Wednesday afternoon, and I got caught in kind of a gnarly choke. And usually, when you get caught in a choke, that's pretty normal. You've got time to tap out of it. But this guy, and it was a complete accident, nothing malicious about it, but he just caught me at just the right angle and applied just the right amount of pressure that it ended up crushing my throat. And I ended up being really hoarse. Like, the next Sunday, I couldn't sing at all. And I want you to put yourself in my shoes for a second. Being able to sing is kind of important to my job. Like it's kind of important to what like I do, like what God's called me to do, largely depends on whether or not I can sing and lead worship. And so I begin to get a little bit concerned. But I think, okay, um, this is Sunday. It's like in the middle of December. I've got two weeks as we were going to break and do an online service for the new year. We're going to break. I've got two weeks until um, our blocks conference, so I've got time to heal up. I should be fine. So I go home for Christmas. I come back. Two weeks goes by, and nothing's changed. Like, I can't sing above speaking range. Like, I could hardly talk. Like, reading books to my son at night was a tireless, a, a very tiring chore. Like, it would hurt. Like, talking with my wife at night, like, it, it hurt to talk. Like, I couldn't, not, not as much, not even just sing. Like, I could hardly even talk. And I begin to get very discouraged. Because I was doing everything I knew to do. Like, I was praying. I'd gone up for altar ministry. I'd gone through every night of the Blocks conference, which is a conference we do at the beginning of the year, where a lot of miracles take place in the church. I was seeing miracles take place all around me. And I was going, I know God's going to heal me tonight. Like, I know God's going to deliver me tonight. And then every single night after night, I would wake up the next day, and my healing still wasn't here. And it was in the middle of this discouragement And this frustration and the questions that God began to do something in me that I believe that he's doing in our church through this series, he was inviting me to look at prayer a little differently. He was inviting me to do something that we're going to talk about today called Persist. And it was in the middle of that, in our 21 days of prayer and fasting, where we would meet every day as a church and pray in this room, that Pastor Josh and Sarah invited our staff to read this book that we talked about a couple weeks ago called Teach Us to Pray. And there was this particular parable in this book that got highlighted in in, in, a, in a chapter, and it began to it began to open my eyes that maybe I wasn't seeing prayer the right way, and that maybe if we're gonna if I would do some of the things that we're gonna talk about today maybe I'll begin to see something, some different results. And it was as I started to implement some of the things that we're gonna talk about today, and I began to see prayer through this lens that I, I don't know what to tell you other than just it was like a light switch went on. Slowly but surely, I started to get notes back in my range. Slowly but surely, I began to get fully, where today I can, sing per, like I can sing at my normal range. Like God has completely healed me now. But not just that, but I began to see, as I saw prayer through this lens, I began to see the things that I'd been praying for for a long time just come to pass. There was a thing, called persistence. So let, let me let me read this parable to you today, Luke 11 verse 5 through 13. This is right after the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray and he gives them the Lord's prayer in verse 5. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any other father among, among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Which I just think is hilarious. Like, what kid is asking for an egg? Like, in my mind, what I think about is, like, a hard-boiled egg. Like, Dad, can I have an egg? And what he, But what Jesus is saying here is he, he's, he's ramping up to something. He's saying, like, even a ridiculous request like that, is, is any father among you going to return, return and give him a scorpion instead? No. And look, look what he says now. It's kind of a, a, a diss, but it's also like it's showing how good God is. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, the placement of this parable is very important. Okay, when you're reading scripture, there's there, there's a tool that you can use called context. So when, when you're reading scripture and something jumps off the page at you, when you look above that, that passage and behind that passage, you can start to get a complete picture for what Jesus is saying. So let me back up a little bit. Um, G, uh, the disciples identify that the secret to Jesus's ministry is his prayer life. They didn't ask him, to teach us to, cast out demons, teach me to heal people, teach me to multiply bread, teach me to walk on water. He didn't ask him, and the disciples didn't ask Jesus that. They said, Jesus, teach us to pray. They identified that that was the source of his ministry right there in prayer. So then Jesus gives them what to pray in the Lord's prayer. He says, relate to God as Abba Father. He says, um, worship him, hallowed be thy name. He says, um, he says, ask for daily bread and provision, forgiveness or repentance. He gives them what to pray. And then right after that, in this parable, he shows the disciples how to pray. And then he gives an incredible promise. He says, when you know what to pray and you know how to pray, you'll be able to ask for anything. You'll be able to seek the answers to any questions. You'll be able to knock on any door and it will be open to you. This is an amazing, and amazing promise. But this parable provides a crucial step, a crucial element in connecting you to the promises of God through prayer. And that is persistence. How many times do we come out of a 21 days of prayer and fasting or out of a series like, like we've been in, and we go, okay, I'm going to step up my prayer life. Like, I'm going to step up my prayer game. And, and, and we, get all, we get all amped up about it. I'm going to wake up early. I'm going to pray. And then a couple weeks goes by. And then slowly but surely, as the rhythm of our life speeds up, we begin to fall out of step of the cadence of prayer. Or how many times do we go, okay, I'm going to stand in faith for something. I'm going to believe God for something. And we pray. And then when nothing happens or when it seems like nothing is happening, we just kind of back off and let go and give up. I think what happens is I think that we fall asleep in prayer. It reminds me of the disciples in Matthew 26. After the, Lord, after the last supper, Jesus invites the disciples to do something unique. He invites them to come with him to the garden to pray. He invites them to agree with him in prayer about some things. See, Jesus knew what was coming for the disciples. He knew that after the crucifixion, there was going to be some trials and some persecution. He knew there was going to be some miracles that needed to be released through them to grow the early church. Like, he knew these things were up ahead. And so he invites the disciples to come and pray with him. And he does the same for us. There's some things that God wants to do in this earth through you through you, through you, through this church. And he's inviting us to pray. He's inviting us to agree with him to usher in these things. But when Jesus returns, he he finds his disciples fast asleep. Why do we fall asleep? Why do we fall asleep? If we know that effective prayer is possible, why do we fall asleep? Like how much more would God do in and through our lives if we simply wake up and pray? If we would pray with with a tenacity that says, God, your kingdom come and your will be done, but then we had the persistence to continue to pray until fruition. Like what if we prayed like that? If that kind of prayer is possible, then why do we fall asleep? But I think we fall asleep for a couple reasons. One, I think sometimes our understanding is off. If you're taking notes, write that down. Our understanding is off. Meaning this, I think it's in our nature to try to figure things out before we put our full weight on it. So I think we try to box God in a little bit, and we try to figure out exactly how this prayer thing works. And so we go, okay, I'm going to get a verse like Pastor Josh talked about yesterday or last week, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going I'm to pray the word, and I'm going to believe it. And then when we open our eyes and we say amen, and a couple days goes by and nothing happens, we begin to go, well, maybe... Maybe my formula is off. Like maybe I don't have this figured out like I thought, and we get discouraged. You know, we 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 get to a place of of sorrow and discouragement. There, there's a um, the the passage, the account of Luke for the disciples falling asleep says that they fell asleep due to sorrow. And I think sometimes in prayer, like we've all been there, we just get so discouraged. We feel like God's not moving. Like He's not listening. And because our understanding is off, we don't understand how the kingdom works and how, how, the, how, how prayer works, we begin to just let go and we drift off to sleep. Sometimes I think our understanding is off. Or number two, I think our aim is off sometimes. Like our aim and motive in, in prayer is off. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong or unjust, um, but I think that sometimes our aim is just a little bit off. Allow me to adjust our perspective a little bit today. Prayer isn't about getting stuff done. Prayer isn't about bringing God your list. Let me say it that way. Now, I'm not saying, like, the word says to bring your petitions and requests to the Lord. The word says that he perfects that which concerns us. It says that not to worry about anything, but to pray about everything. It says all those things. Listen, bring your list, but understand that your list has to be secondary. Your aim has to be on him. Like, his presence over his promises. His heart over his hand. Or, if not, your your, your prayer life will become a little bit lifeless. Let me ask you a question. Is is your time in prayer more about a list or a person? Like, just go be with God. Like, like be with God. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Like, Like, daily bread and kingdom come are good prayers. Persist in those. Pray those, but don't neglect the worship of his name. Don't neglect relating to him as Abba Father. Don't neglect repentance and forgiveness. Don't neglect the kind of surrender that it takes to continually pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Boldly approach the throne of grace. Like bring bring your requests, bring your petitions, but then rest in his presence. Again, listen, we have to take our eyes off of stuff and we've got to put them onto him. Because here's why, if you remove, connection and relationship out of prayer, your prayer life's going to get stale and quiet and cold. It's kind of like this. Every single room in my house at the Terry household's got at least two fans going at all time. Like, I love the sound of a box fan. Like, it just, it just, it drowns out all the other noises and just lets you just slowly drift off to sleep. And if we remove connection and relationship out of prayer, I believe that our prayer life becomes a drone of repeated requests and recycled prayers and we just begin to drift off to sleep because our focus is off of him. We have to get our focus on him this morning. And here's what's great about that. When your target is just connecting with him, when it's just like, okay, God, I got 15 minutes this morning, and you know what's on my heart to pray, but first I'm going to seek your face. But when our aim is him, listen, we hit that every single time. Because that, at the the most truest sense, that aligns with heaven perfectly, because God's desire is to connect with you in that moment. So as you go, and you go, God, I just want to know you today. He goes, yes, child. Yes, son. Yes, daughter. I want to connect with you today. And listen, as we connect with him and as we get into the presence of God on a daily basis, I promise everything else gets worked out because he's a good, good father. So we got to connect with him first and then our list can be secondary. So that's the second reason why I think we fall asleep is our aim is off. The third is this, I think sometimes we just move on. And there's two kind of levels to this. I think sometimes if we're honest It's a little harsh, we're honest, I'm talking about myself too. I think the things that we're praying for or the people that we're praying for or what we're praying for, God's intervention into a situation, if we were honest, it really wasn't that important to us in the first place. So we just kind of pray because we feel like we should and then we just kind of move on. We kind of move on with our day. And I think that we have to become a, a, a people where we, we guard ourselves against apathy. Because there are things, I think our tendency is to focus on the things that directly affect our life, but we have to have a broadened perspective as a church and realize that part of our job is to stand watch. Actually, when Jesus invites the disciples to pray in the garden, he actually invites them to come and watch. See, there are things that he's positioned you into the world to be on the lookout for the signs of the enemy. He's, he's on, we're to be on, on guard and go listen, I care enough about my coworkers and my family that I'm gonna stand watch and I'm gonna stand guard and I'm gonna continue to pray. Even if I don't feel like something's happening, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for our country because I believe that God's not done. I believe there's another revival coming before Jesus returns. So I'm gonna stand watch and I'm gonna continue to pray and I'm gonna continue to persist until I see the things of God come to pass in my life. Amen? Okay, so we can't just move on. Sometimes I think we move on because of apathy, but another reason I think we move on is because we go to God for something, and when he doesn't deliver how we want him to or on our timetable, I think, I think our tendency is to go, well, if God's not going to take care of it, then I'll take care of it myself. And we move on, and we either either look to ourselves to satisfy that need, or we look somewhere else to satisfy that need. And here's why that's dangerous is because there was a term for this in the Old Testament. It was called idolatry. I think that we think idolatry as um, hard to relate to because we see it as like maybe worship preference. Like we see it as like, well, they weren't God worshipers. They were carbon you know, image worshipers. And we can't imagine at, in our enlightened state as a society how anyone could worship like a carbon image. That's not what, that's not what idolatry was. It was to a, a sense, but that's not what it was. It wasn't like worship preference. It wasn't like, man, Yahweh's cool, God's cool and all. But man, the band at First Church of the Baal they got an LED wall. It is crazy. Smoke machines going. It's awesome. So I think I'm going to go worship over there. It't wasn't, it wasn't like it wasn't like they were like, "Man, I love the temple. I love the high priest's messages. Like I love what Solomon did with this upgrade. You know, the upgrade in the temple, it's great. Lots of gold. I love it. It looks so awesome. But first, Edmund of the Asheropol, man, their messages are just so practical. I think I'm going to take my family over there. No, that's not what it was. It was the people of Israel going to an idol to satisfy a need that should have been met by God. It was the people of Israel going, okay, we need water. We need water for our crops. We need water for our animals. We need water to drink. And instead of going to God for it, they would go to Baal, who they believed brought the rain. And they would go and ask for rain. Or listen how twisted the enemy was. There was a a demonic idol called Moloch. And Moloch could tell you the future, like the, the priests and the prophets of Moloch could teach you, could tell you about the future. So if you had a question about a business venture or you wanted peace about the future, what you could do is you could go to one of these priests and you could get some security and some peace. But here was the catch. In order to get that, you would have to sacrifice a child. Listen how twisted that is. Like you would, they, they were sacrificing the future generation in order to learn about the future, but here's, here's what I don't think we understand all the time is we hear that and we go, how could you do that? I think we do that a lot. Like, I think that we go, OK, um, I think I can handle this on my own. Because I think that any area that we don't invite God, that we don't cover in prayer, that we don't go to God in first, I think there's an idol nearby. Because we have to remain in this place. In a culture that says, that like, celebrates self-reliance and independence, listen, those things are good. Those things are great. Like, be independent, be self-reliant. Like, I'm raising my children. Like, I want my sons to be self, uh, self-reliant, independent. Those are great qualities to have, except in your relationship with God. Like, except in, you, in your relationship with God. It, it, it's in your relationship with God that you need to remain the most dependent. Wow. But we don't all the time. I mean, how many times do we pray for God's direction for something, and when he doesn't answer or he doesn't give us the answer we want, we just kind of go with conventional wisdom, you know? We think, well, I'll just go, like, this makes the most sense, yeah. so I'll go with this. Or, or, you know, Jesus tells us to pray and ask for daily bread, but let's be honest, like, we live in Edmond, Oklahoma. We live in Deer Creek, Oklahoma. Like, there's probably a level of comfort built in your life, and why would I need, why would I need to continue to pray and ask for daily bread when I can count on my company to cut me a check every two weeks? You know what I'm saying? And so what we begin to do is we begin to see um, through the lens of I can handle this on my own. And we don't even think to cover areas in our life in prayer. But we have, in a world that celebrates self-reliance, in a world that says, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, like, we need to have the posture of a dependent child. Like, we need to remain in this place where the Lord. We go, God, you are my source. You are my life. Apart from you, I can do no thing. And in the daily confession of surrender, in the daily confession of, God, I need you, what we actually do, this is so cool, we actually position ourselves in a posture so that god can move and work in our life because we're going god i need you we're connected to him and he can produce fruit and so listen one of the things that we got to do if if we're going to remain persistent and we're going to stay on is is we cannot we cannot just move on we can't just move on we have to continue on to him we got to stay connected to him okay so if that's why we fall asleep how do we stay awake How do we build persistence into our daily uh, 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 prayer life? Okay, so I think the first step is this. We're going to start with a promise. Start with a promise. I'm going to build on what Pastor Josh talked about last week. If you want a persistent prayer, then you're going to need to find a footing in Scripture. This keeps us grounded. Um, It helps us to know that we're praying the will of God. But remember the parable that Jesus gives us about knocking. I believe that when you have a verse to stand on, Um, it helps you to know that you can keep knocking when you're at the right house. Like when you know you're at the right house, you can keep knocking. Let me me put it this way. Okay, so say I'm doing a DIY project at my house. I'm building shelves or something. And I look at the tools that I have and I go, okay, I'm going to need a table saw to accomplish this project. Um, and I don't have a table saw. But I know my friend Jared. My friend Jared's got a table saw, Jared Lawrence. So I'm going to text him up and be like, hey, Jared, can I borrow your table saw? I need it for a project. He texts me back, and he goes, yeah, totally come over at 1 o'clock, um, and you can pick up the table saw. So at 1 o'clock rolls around. I hop in my car. I drive down Boulevard. I drive into his giant circle drive, and I come up to the front door, and I begin to knock. And then there's no answer. And so then I knock again, and still no answer. Now, do I just go, well, I guess Jared's just a big liar. <laughs> like, I guess he was just lying to me. Like, I guess he was just tricking me, getting me to come down here, thinking I, he had a saw that I could borrow. Or, or do I look at his text and go, maybe I don't understand the context of what, this, of what his text says. Maybe, maybe he was just saying that he had a table saw, not that I actually had access to it. No. No. Because I have a relationship with Jared. I know his character. And when he says I can borrow his table saw, he's a good friend. He means what he says. And so I'm going to continue to knock until he answers the door. When we know what the word of God says and we have a promise to stand on, we can continue to knock because we know we're at the right house. When we know the word and we find a promise to stand on, it gives us the boldness and the permission to persist. I think sometimes in prayer, we feel like we're pestering God. Like it's like, God, I've prayed this a thousand times. I'm sure you're tired of hearing about it. But you need to understand something. Like Jesus gives you the permission to continue to persist for the things in the word of God to, meet, to come out into your life until you have it. Like that's what Jesus is saying. Knock and the door will be open to you. Knock, 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 knock. In that parable in, in, in Luke 11, He gives us a model here. He gives us a model that says, listen, knock again. And I believe that that's what the Holy Spirit is saying today. There are some things that God's put in your life that maybe you've prayed for before and you haven't seemed to come to pass and the Holy Spirit's saying to you, knock, knock. When I, or knock again, when I needed healing in my throat, When I would pray, thank you, Jesus, that your word says, by your stripes, I'm healed. And I I pray, thank you, Jesus, that your word says that my body is bursting with health and healing. Thank you that my body lines up with what your word says about that. It is bursting with health and healing. In Jesus' name, amen. When I would wake up the next day and I didn't have the healing yet in my throat, I couldn't question whether or not it was God's will because I know what his word already said. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I would continue to go back to the gates of heaven. I would continue to knock. I would continue to persist. I checked the mailbox. It says Jehovah Rapha. So I know I'm at the right house. I'm going to continue to knock. We have to have that boldness and that persistence to continue to contend for the promises of God, even when we don't have them in our hands. So when we have a footing in scripture, it gives us the permission to keep knocking. But here's the other thing it does. I think that, that having a verse, it builds your faith. It builds your faith. I was having breakfast with Pastor Ken um, last week, uh, and he said something to me that was uh, I'd never thought about before. He said that I think a lot of people stop at hope in God and don't move on to faith in God. I think a lot of people stop at hope in God and, and don't move on to faith in God. See, hope and faith are very different. They're both good, but they're very different. Um, hope Hope is a uh, uh, hope is good. Hope is like God. I hope you will heal me. I, I hope. I hope that you're capable. Like I hope that you'll do this thing. But it's different than faith. Look, look what it says in Hebrews 11:1. Hope is actually the start of faith. It says, "Now faith is the assurance of the things that you hoped for." So your hope, your faith is compiled up of all of your hope. It's for the. It's the conviction of things not seen. So in other words, it says hope is is say, hope says God. I know that you're able. But faith says God I know that you're willing. Yeah. Hope says God I know you're able. God I know you're strong enough to help me. God I know you're big enough to handle this thing that I'm walking through. God I know you are capable that you are big enough and mighty enough to handle the battle that I'm walking through, but but faith is different. Listen, hope is good. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's what Proverbs says. But faith is different. Faith says, God, I know you're willing. God, I know you're moving right now. God, I am fully convinced and persuaded that you are on the move. Because I have a verse, I know your will. Hope is good. Hope is good. Continue on with hope. But listen, you're not going to move any mountains with hope. You're not. Like in order to move mountains, you're gonna need something a little bit more concrete. You're gonna need some faith. Mark 11 says this, and Jesus answered to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Why can't this verse be about your prayer life? Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So how do we move from a hope in God to a faith in God? It says this in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So this is how it works. You have a need in your life, okay? A sickness in your body, um, you're, you're believing for something. There's something that doesn't line up with the word. And so because of your hope in God, it drives you to the word, you believe that God is capable and you believe that God is able. And so it, your hope drives you to the word. So then you go to the word and you, and, you, and you look through the word to find a promise that speaks to God's desire to meet that need in your life. And then through the process of repeating that word and meditating on that word, it actually produces faith in you. God showed it to me this way this week. I was doing um, bedtime with my son, you know, after... Um, jammies, and bath, and brushing the teeth, and all hour that it takes to put a toddler down for bedtime. After all of those things, usually I've got him settled down enough to be able to talk, and we'll talk about some things. And so uh, he was leaving the next day to go with my mom down to Houston to stay with the grandparents for the weekend. Praise the Lord for grandparents. (laughs) I love my son, but it was like a vacation last week. I mean, it was, it was awesome. I missed him, but, and I'm glad he's back. But it was great. Grandparents are great. But here's what I know about my son. I know that my son um, has started to learn that he's got this ability to work people. Like, he has this ability to, like, peer in your soul and find your weakness <laughs> and then exploit that weakness to get what he wants. Like, he knows that there are things that he knows that he can get, that he won't get away with, with mom and dad, that he'll get away with, with um, Coco and Pop-Pop and, Pop Pop and Graham and Grandpa. Because you grandparents know. You know? You know. You spoil those kids. You do. Like, like grandparent detox is real. Like... <laughs> It's so real. I know within 15 minutes, there's going to be some discipline that needs to take place of him being back in my house. Because you grandparents, and you should spoil them, but you know. Anyway, so, so I was having this conversation, and I was like, okay, Bubba, you need to be sweet and obey. Like, when you're with Pop-Pop and Coco, Grandma, Grandma, you need to be sweet and obey. And I could tell he wasn't listening to me because, you know, he's two. You know, he was, like, looking all over the place. He was wrestling, (laughs) jumping on his bed. But I knew that if he was going to understand what I was saying to him, that I needed him to repeat it back to me. So I grabbed his face, and I gently grabbed his face, and I had him look. I said, Bub, look at me in the eyes. Okay. Say, be sweet and obey. Be sweet and obey. So I said, Bub, say it again. Say, be sweet and obey. Be sweet and obey. I knew that if he was going to understand it, he needed to say it. And I think that there's an aspect of that that is how we pray, too. When we pray the word, in the process of repeating God's promises... In the processes of, of meditating on it, on the process of, of continuing to pray through the word, even whenever your life doesn't match up with it. Like, think about it. Like, when I was sick in my throat and I pray, Thank you, Lord, that my body is bursting with health and healing. Like, uh, there's something that's taking place where I'm disconnecting with, with what I see as an earthly reality and I'm connecting with a heaven re- heavenly reality at that point. And in the process of meditating on the word, it produces faith in us. So we have to start with a promise we got to start with a promise the second thing we're going to do is we're going to submit my plans submit my plans our prayers aren't do this thing i want you to do the way i want you to do it that's not what jesus gives us to pray in the lord's prayer our prayers are jesus your kingdom come and your will be done now because we know what the word says we know what his will is okay so the ask is up to us Like the ask is up to us. Jesus says you have not because you ask not. That's an important part of the process. The ask is up to us, but the how is up to God. The ask is up to us, but the how is up to us, up to him. We have to get to a place when we pray, where we're praying, God, your kingdom come and your will be done, and then we allow him the trust and the room to be able to answer our prayers in his timing and in his way. And let me be fully transparent with you this morning. I don't understand everything there is to understand about how God works and how God moves. And I hope I'm in good company this morning, you know? I know I'm a pastor, I I went to Bible school and everything, but I still have no clue sometimes, like, why God does the things that he does and how he does it. Like, I don't understand why sometimes it, I get healing immediately, and sometimes it takes six months to receive healing. Like, I don't understand sometimes why um, some things in the kingdom seem really easy to grab onto, and some things seem to be a little harder. I don't fully understand the complexities, and, and that's good. Like, I love the mystery that is God. Look what it says in Psalm 145.3, greatest. The Lord and great to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge! How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways. Listen, I understand that walking with God is a journey, and I know that's a cheesy statement, and it's probably in someone's grandma's kitchen, but it's true. Like walking with God is a journey. I don't understand. I don't understand why all the things happen the way that they happen, but I know this, and you can take it to the bank. Number thir- numbers 13, 19, God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Slap that on a bumper sticker. Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Listen, every promise in the word is reachable. There are not tears of God's promises. He has not placed your healing or your freedom or your victory on the top shelf out of your reach. He has not made it difficult for you to string you along and to see how far you're willing to go. Listen, God's promises are reachable to you. Every single promise and scripture was paid for by the blood of, hey, not yet guys sorry not yet guys by the blood of jesus every single promise every single just don't mind the people behind the curtain over there <laughs> don't mind them keep looking right here all right <laughs> every single promise in scripture is reachable listen but if we're going to grab onto the promises of god then we have to learn how to let go of our plans like, in order to grab on to the promises of God, you have to recognize that God might do it a little bit differently than you want Him to. And that's a good thing. Listen, the word says that his ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is more strategic. He is more wise. He is more kind. He is more good. He is better. His plans, just like we sang about today, your way is better. And so when we come to a place, we stand in faith and contention for things. And then we go, "Okay, I'm going to step back and I'm going to let God do it the way that he wants to do it. Listen, I think that so much of faith can be something up in this God I trust you like God I trust you and listen because of our trust in God we continue to persist because I think persistence the the posture of persistence uh is is, uh, sorry the posture of trust I think is persistence because it's saying God I trust that you do what you say so I'm going to continue to ask and I'm going to continue to contend for things. God, I trust that you do what you say, and I'm, I'm fine with you doing it however you want to. It may not happen how you expect it, but that's what we want. I, want. I want you to think about all the heroes in our faith, Abraham and Sarah, King David, Moses. Like, they all got a promise from the Lord, and then they, and then they took a step of faith, and they stood on that promise, and, and then God's purposes got enacted in their life, and it, but it didn't look like how they expected it to. Like, think about Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she gets this promise about the Messiah that's going to be birthed through her. It's an amazing promise, but it takes nine months for that promise to come into a baby. And then it takes 33 years for that promise to be fully realized. And then even then, I guarantee you, it is not what Mary had in mind. Like she did not have in mind that her son was going to be hung up on a cross and beaten and tortured. But listen, listen, that was God's best. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Listen, we have to get to a place where we trust God because we're not trying to build our kingdom. We're not trying to build the kingdom of David here. Our prayer always has to be filtered through God. Your kingdom come and your will be done. You guys with me this morning? So the third thing we have to do is this. We have to embrace the process. Embrace the process. If we're going to persist... If there's something that we're praying for and we need to continue in contention for it of prayer, if we're going to be able to persist and not give up and let go of God's promises, then we're going to have to learn how to embrace the process of waiting on the Lord. Wow. Waiting on the Lord. Psalm 37, 34. It says, Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. I want you to understand something this morning. And it's, a, it's the key to help us understand the kind of persistence that Jesus tells us to have in that parable in Luke 11. Waiting is not a, um, a place. Waiting is not something that you are. Like, waiting is not a status of your prayer. I think sometimes we go, okay, I've asked, I've prayed, now I can mark the status of my prayer to pending. Like, now it's on God, right? <laughs> I've done my part, now it's on God. And that's not, uh, that's not waiting, that's just peace. Like, when we pray, we release control to the Lord. And we go, God, I've placed my burden on you. And so now, Lord, you can take this, and, you, and you, I trust that you're going to do what you do. And then we can have a peace that God is in control and that God is always working. He is working all things out for the good of those who love him. But the process of waiting is an action. Look what that word is in Hebrew. It's kava, which means this, to lie and wait for, to twist, stretch. The tension of enduring, waiting. Okay, so don't miss this. To wait on the Lord for something means to continue to contend for it. On, yeah. To hold on to the promise of God and to subject yourself to the tension of enduring unto completion. It's to continue to ask God even when you don't have it in your hands yet. It's to continue to pray even when he hasn't delivered yet. It's to continue to knock even when the door hasn't been open yet. So if you're taking notes, write this down. if you're not praying, you're not waiting. If you're not praying, then you're not waiting. To wait is to remain in a posture of prayer. Have you ever thought about this before? Like why do we even need to pray? Like? God sa- Jesus says that God knows what we need before we even ask. You ever thought about this before? Like, if God knows what we need before we even ask, then why do I even need to ask? You know, like, why does it God just do it? I believe it's because God knows what is going to happen in us when we endure the process of waiting. I love what David Guzik says. He says, God often waits for our passionate persistence in prayer. It isn't that God is reluctant and needs to be persuaded. Our persistence doesn't change God. It changes us, developing in us a heart and passion for what God wants. Okay, so I want us to see persistence this morning not linearly, as in how long am I willing to tough it out in prayer? Like, how, how long is this going to take? I don't want us to see persistence like endurance. I don't want us to see it as like, okay, how long is this going to take for God to answer my prayer? I want us to see persistence as a process that we're willing to subject ourselves to. Because through the process of waiting, God is actually shifting some things in us. It's the process of sitting under the tension, okay? So I've got an illustration for us this morning. Production team, we're going to pretend like it's the first time we've seen you. Shocker, there's a barbell back there. Okay, so I love to work out, okay? I love, um, and some of y'all looked at me just then like, are you sure? (laughs) Listen, I'm all in or all out, okay? So I'm either like really into working out or I am not into working out, okay? (laughs) Okay. But I, I love the process of, like, learning how your body responds to things and how you can target certain muscles and build muscle as you're tearing it down. Like, it's, God is so cool how he built the body, okay? One of the things I've learned about working out is that if you're going to have progress, if you're going to build strength and you're going to build muscle, you can't just show up. Like, it's not enough to just show up to the gym. Like, we've all seen those people that walk into the gym, or maybe you're one of these people, walk into the gym, you just kind of pick up a weight and... That looks good, and you come over to this machine. It's like I'll do this now, and I've been here 20 minutes. My Apple Watch says I burned 200 calories. It's and call it a day. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get any progress in that. Like if you want to progress, you want to get stronger. You you want to look good. Like the what's you have to understand this principle called time under tension, and it's 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 the amount of time that you target a muscle to sit under a certain weight. And it's through that certain rep range that actually breaks down the muscle and produces more strength in you. So I need a volunteer today, somebody who's strong. Is Andrew in here? Andrew, hi. There he is. Come on. Come on up here. <laughs> Round of applause for Andrew. Can, can you bet you wore a short sleeve? Good. Good. Let him know. You can take a seat right there. Okay, so I think that praying is a lot like going to the weight room, all right? So, so for this illustration, this is going to be his prayer closet here. Uh, this is where he's praying and going every day, daily contending for some things. And every rep he does is going to represent a prayer. Okay, lay back. And then we were really close just then as you laid back. <laughs> okay, now don't burn out, okay? I need drunk, this, okay. Now this weight, this weight represents God's weight, W-A-I-T. So every day. He's coming into his prayer room and he's contending for some things. And he's subjecting himself under the tension of God's weight. Maybe, maybe him and Megan are praying for a baby. And they're like, Thank you, Lord, that you make the, the childless woman in a house full of children. Thank you, Lord. And he's praying and contending. And maybe he's got a sickness in his body. He's going, God, I thank you, Lord, that by your stripes I am healed. You take all sickness from it. And he's subjecting himself under the tension, under the tension of questions, under the tension of, is God going to come through? Under the tension of, is God going to do what he said? the attention of the enemy coming, listen, is God going to let you down? He's coming back every day because he knows that it may not happen overnight. Like how many of you started a workout program before and you show up and then the next day you go and look in the mirror and you're like, has anything changed? But nothing's changed. But, but Andrew knows this. If he continues to be faithful and to have good form and continue to come back day after day and submit himself under the tension that God is moving, God is working, and then if he begins to struggle, look how cool this is, then he, then he can go to his small group and his serve team, and he can and he can learn, he can draw from the strength of people around him, and I can go, bub, we're not gonna let go of this yet. We're not gonna, we're not done waiting. We're gonna sit under the weight. We're gonna sit. I'm gonna help you here. He's gonna draw from my strength. This is why all is important. One more, one more. It's why ultimate ministry important? Because he can come up and draw from the strength. You're good. You get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <inaudible> don't miss this. I, I've read this verse a thousand times in my life, but God showed me something this week that completely changed my perspective. Isaiah forty thirty one says this. Put that up there, guys. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not faint can we ask you a question this morning what if the strength required to carry the promise that you've been contending for comes through the process of waiting like what if in the process of you The process of you believing for a child and enduring month after month of negative pregnancy tests. Like, what if in the process of you continuing to hold on and to contend and to have the tenacity that says, God, I'm going to continue to knock, I'm going to knock on the door of heaven once more, Lord, because I believe you're good and I know what your word says and I trust your timing, and what if in the process of you sitting under the tension of those prayers and the tension of God's way, what if God is building in you the strength required to be a mother that is full of faith? Like, what if in the process of me waiting for healing in my throat, God was building in me a strength that I didn't know that I needed, a strength that goes, you know what, God, I can just depend on you. Like, I don't have to rest and depend on me. I can just depend on you. What if in the process, you, parent, who is, who's praying for their child that is far away from God, what if you in the process of continuing to contend, continuing to pray, continuing to contend, God is building in you the strength required to walk them through the process when they give their life to Jesus? Like, what if in the process... Process of you praying for a spouse single person like what if in the process of you continuing contend and to contend other to, under the tension of am I going to be single forever like is anybody going to love me and you continue to rest in the love of God and the promises of God what if God is building in you the faithfulness required to be a good spouse listen the strength is in the weight hit somebody and say that's what happens when you wait that is what happens when you wait you get a little bit stronger listen I understand I understand now why James says in 1 2 count it all joy when you come across trials because it produces perfect endurance and patience in you. Listen, it's okay when we're in the wait because we know that God's there with us and he's preparing us and and there might be a crushing. Like I didn't say this in any other services, but I feel like we need to say it tonight. Like there there is an anointing that comes through the crushing. Like sometimes we're in a season where we feel like we're crushing, we're being crushed under the weight of obscurity and under the weight of of waiting on the promises of God to be delivered in our lives. And it's in that season when we humble submit ourselves to God's process and God's timing and we say God I'm not going to do it my way I'm not going to take any shortcuts I'm going to trust in you that God produces in us the anointing that is required to walk out the call of our life listen the strength is in the weight. would you stand to your feet with me this morning I want to invite our altar ministry team to come down We do altar ministry every single week, but as I was preparing this message today, I just thought how appropriate it is for us to do it today because I believe that I I could just sense it today. Like I believe that there are people in this room that God is planting dreams and promises in the womb of your prayer life right now. And he's inviting you to nurture it with some faith this morning. I believe that there are some things that you've been praying for for a long time and you've either just fallen asleep or just let go of it and and the holy spirit's kicking inside of you this morning saying hey just ask again like just knock again there's some people in here this morning that are discouraged and weak and weary god is inviting you to come up and draw from the strength of these altar ministers up here today would you bow your heads and close your eyes